I watch the Yuan almost daily because I think that's the biggest, most important pair. The dollar Yuan? Yep. Interesting. More important than USD uh, Bitcoin, BTC? <laughs> well, no, that's the most important to me. But I think globally for Forex, uh, I think the US dollar Yuan is has the most signal out of any exchange pair. Well, I think this is a good time to kick off the episode. Everyone, we're going to be talking politics. Antel thinks the yuan is uh, is a very, very important pair for the United States dollar. And uh, we're going to be getting into that as well. You're listening to FedWatch. I'm CK. Before we get into the show, let's talk about our sponsors. First and foremost, let's talk about BitcoinBlackFriday.com. BitcoinBlackFriday.com is a celebration of the Bitcoin circular economy. It's being put on by Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2021 conference. And really what it is supposed to do is be a place for you to find all the best deals to celebrate Black Friday and people who accept Bitcoin for their services, people who want to earn Bitcoin. You can support them on BitcoinBlackFriday.com, but that's not all. You can also support nonprofits with Bitcoin and donate to over 65 nonprofits on the website who all accept, hodl, and use Bitcoin to help mankind. Uh, There's a lot out there for you to choose. You can earn Bitcoin on BitcoinBlackFriday.com. And speaking of a fantastic way to earn Bitcoin, the Fold Sats Back card. It's been very, very highly anticipated by Bitcoiners. It is a debit card that when you spend, you get Sats Back. And you can sign up for the waitlist for this much-awaited stats back card on BitcoinBlackFriday.com. And if you sign up on BitcoinBlackFriday.com, you're going to be entered into a sweepstakes to win one entire Bitcoin. That's right. One lucky entrant is going to win an entire Bitcoin. That is a ton of Satoshis. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Get over to BitcoinBlackFriday.com. Sign up for the fold stats back card and enter into that contest. Second, let's talk about Paxful. Paxful is the center of the Bitcoin P2P space. It's a fantastic website where merchants from around the world can trade fiat, gift cards, whatever for Bitcoin. And really what it does is it enables a world where people who have Bitcoin, people who have value, they can help people perform remittances, help people make payments, help people tap into all of the global financial system in a more permissionless manner. So there are endless possibilities with Paxful. There are so many amazing businesses that are built on top of Paxful's marketplaces. If you want to learn more, go to paxful.com backslash podcasts. So that way they know we sent you there. All right, Ansel, this is going to be a great show. We got a lot of stuff. A lot has happened in the world. A lot has happened in the U.S., It looks as though Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States of America. This has implications for a lot of things. Um, But, you know, with that being a a factor, it doesn't seem as though Bitcoin cares at all. Uh, Bitcoin has been steadily increasing and now it's sitting at $15,200 United States dollar. Uh, I guess, uh, what's today's date? Today's the the 8th? The 10th. The 10th, yeah, so... I'm a little, uh, I'm a little backwards here, but <laughs> yeah. What, what are your thoughts here? Well, you know, I was calling that it was going to be a landslide for Trump for a long time. And I believe that if it was, uh, honestly counted that it would have been a landslide for Trump. 
Um, now I don't want to get into like, if, uh, it matters if it was stolen, I believe it was stolen. I mean, it wasn't honestly counted, but I mean, that's what you sign up for. If you're going to be in, um, you know, be a statist and vote. That's so I think people that voted, they got what they kind of deserved in the, in that respect. Now, <clears throat> I think harsh it's words. <laughs> is it, uh, is it a big deal for Bitcoin? No, it's not. Bitcoin is a global phenomenon. It's outside of the United States jurisdiction to, to do, to really cause it any harm. I don't think it's uh, going to make much difference at all to Bitcoin. Now you were well, saying like before the that. show, you, well, you were saying before the show that you uh, heard some people from Germany were really into the, uh, our election. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think it's a fact that this election was the center of the global conversation, you know, all of last week, not just in the United States, but just all of last week. And I mean, I'm speculating that that has a lot to do with the fact that the dollar is the global reserve currency. You know, the way that the world expresses value right now is undeniably tethered to the U.S. and undeniably tethered to U.S. politics because of the nature of fiat currency. So I think that that's messed up, and it's a messed up after effect. And we're just seeing the U.S. matter more and more because the dollar matters more and more, and the dollar is so permissioned. And I think it's sad. Well, yeah, and so many economies around the world are struggling. You know, the, the U.S., as messed up as it is, is actually probably the most vibrant economy right now. I mean, minus maybe China, but um, yeah, it's the source of vibrancy and innovation in the world is the United States. So uh, that is why it probably is the center of everything. So speaking of China and speaking of the introduction of this podcast, you were saying that the yuan dollar pair is probably the most important um, forex pair out there in terms of macro implications. Can you talk about that a little bit more and talk about uh, what you were seeing from that pair during the elections. I know that it was swinging wildly as expectations flipped from Trump to Biden. Well, the reason why I think it's the most important Forex pair is because what we've been hearing for so many years now, the last decade is the rise of China and the the fall of the United States. You know, the what is it called? The Thucydides trap? Is that what uh, Max Kaiser and Stacey... Uh, always talk about where the the as one power rises and the other power is declining, then there's always conflict there. Um, I I see that as being an important trading pair because of that idea that China is rising. I don't believe that China will rise and overtake the West, but. I think that is what people believe and people have uh, positioned their capital as if that were the case, right? There's a lot of manufacturing that goes on in China, um, a lot of financing that goes on in China and it's all centered around the dollar and the yuan. So uh, I think that that's very important. That's why I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think it makes sense. And talking about the second part of the question, I can, I can kind of speak to a little bit. I was watching the elections from the eyes of the FTX prediction markets and Mm. um, throughout, you know, the day of the election, Trump went from an underdog and steadily rose. And then actually 
you know, increased to close to 80% chance of victory, according to uh, FTX.com. Um, and throughout until about that, 4 a.m., right? Until, until about, about 4, 4 Yeah, until about 4 a.m. Uh, <laughs> the next morning. But um, at that point, um, at that point, uh, the yuan was actually trading, was tanking on the do- against the dollar. And then when the election expectations flipped over to Biden, the dollar and the yuan pair completely flipped and uh, the yuan has now been gaining. Uh, So, I mean, I think that the markets are speaking very clearly with what you're saying. And it's very interesting to see the correlation between Trump and the dollar, Biden and the yuan. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. The reason why I pointed out 4 a.m. is that's when all those that's when 150,000 Biden votes dropped on all these states. You know, that's why it looked like Trump was going to win. And then you dumped all these Biden votes and then it looked like Biden was going to win. But I, I kind of see it a little bit differently with the, the yuan. If you kind of go out to a, a weekly chart for the last, let's see, since roughly May, the yuan has really been surging against the dollar. Um, and yeah, we might have had a, a short-term blip there during the election, but overall, it looks like the yuan is going to strengthen versus the dollar. And that is contrary to a lot of what I've been saying with the strong dollar thesis, um, the dollar is weakening against the yuan. The way I kind of rationalize that is by saying um, China's in a whole world of hurt. Their credit bubble is bursting, and when a credit bubble bursts, you know, you're People are rushing for cash. So I think that they're they're in trouble right now financially, and that's why their currency has been appreciating versus the dollar. And when they get a hold of that, um, it's going to snap back the other way. And when the dollar net then is strengthening against the yuan, probably by the end of the year, this will snap back the other way. The dollar, the strong dollar shortage will uh, rear its ugly head again. All right. So, I mean, I guess just out of out of curiosity, how much of that theory would you say is on evidence that you're seeing emerge from China versus kind of you rationalizing your position? Their credit bubble is definitely objective fact that we know how much they are, you know, it's like 350 or 400% of GDP that they're in debt. So they're like twice as indebted as the United States. Um, And we know that a lot of their trade is being curtailed right now during the coronavirus. They had a shock, a deflationary globalization shock. So, and they are very dependent on their exports. So no, I think it's, it's pretty objective that they're in deep, deep trouble. Um, Now, how much is actually, uh, of this strong yuan is based off of that. Uh, yeah, that would be speculation. I do know that they have uh, tried to raise money in U.S. dollars recently. They had the first ever, um, I guess, uh, auction of their debt directly for U.S. entities. Usually, U.S. entities had to go through domestic entities in China, but now they they are opening it up directly to foreign entities. So that is uh, a pretty big sign to me that they are desperate to get dollars more directly into their economy. Wow. 
I mean, that, that sounds very interesting and I'm sure we will continue to cover that at that, as that develops. So let's now move our speculations away from China and let's start speculating on, uh, the, it looks like the next president, the president elect, uh, Joe Biden and what he could mean for federal reserve action tendencies, et cetera. Oh man. Well, the, uh, Apparently, the market really liked it, thinking that stimulus is on its way. Um, but now, apparently, there's some news out that uh, Biden wants to do like a three-month lockdown, a national three-month lockdown. And so that is um, a kind of reflexively now bringing the market back down. I, I don't know. I don't really think that there is much that the government is in control of the supply of money, inflation or anything like that. Uh, personally, I think that Biden kind of symbolizes more government intervention. And so that's usually market people and higher taxes. So usually markets don't like that. I don't know why it went the other way, probably because of that stimulus hope um, that was being held up, you know, a disagreement between Trump and Pelosi in uh, Pelosi is for our international listeners. I don't know how many we have, but uh, Pelosi is the um, speaker of the house. And so she has some control over legislation and they were having a confrontation there at the end. Um, That's why Trump couldn't get any more stimulus passed. But now that there is a, she's a Democrat and there's a Democrat, uh, elect as president, then um, people would think that there would be stimulus. So I don't know. There, there's a little bit of both. What do you, what's your idea on this? Well, I mean, I, I am unsure. I do think that the sudden realization about Joe's most likely corona corona enabled actions uh, are now dawning on people that were ignoring the reality that was in front of them. Um, So it's interesting to see the markets react to that and people on social media react to that, um, to, uh, you know, rumors and speculations. Uh, Joe did tweet something along the lines of, I won't be president until January 20th, but until then all I have to say is wear a mask, you know, kind of like insinuating that when he's president, like, we're going to be doing some serious precautions. He's been announcing, you know, professors from UCSF and other highbrow universities, highbrow medical schools that are joining his task force. So coronavirus is not something that he's trying to brush off. It doesn't seem like it seems like it's at the center of uh, his uh, immediate agenda. Uh, Outside of that, I don't have anything super Good to say, it seems as though the swamp in Washington all got reelected. Nancy Pelosi, um, who uh, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, Mitch McConnell, you know, these people, long term politicians, they run the show. Uh, They, you know, they are who they are. They're politically aligned. They care about their party line. Like it's just all, all those people are back. So um, it seems as though the Trump experiment didn't wreck any of them. They're still here. Which, you know, I don't really know how to feel about that. One thing I thought was interesting is I think it was 13, 11 or 13 and some, some number up there of women, Republican women got elected. I mean, uh, that's an interesting set. I don't know what to compare it to, but. 
Yeah, well, I just think it's interesting because the Republicans are supposed to be the old white man party and the Democrats are supposed to be the progressives and the, the um, you know, I guess, feminist party. And it's the Republicans that's bringing the most women into Congress. So I don't know. I think it's great that there's a divide, a Republican Senate and a Democrat House, and because that is what keeps the most freedom is gridlock. We want the most gridlock possible. Um, and it's also good that I guess Trump was able to get some Supreme court justices, uh, you know, appointed to the bench because, uh, now there will be even more gridlock. And I think that's good for everybody. You think that there's going to be gridlock? Cause I mean, maybe that, that now heavily right leaning, uh, I guess, uh, judicial branch could strike down a lot of actions. You know, like what happens if a Roe versus yeah. Wade gets struck down? Um, well, this is getting a little bit more political, but I think that Roe versus Wade is federal. It has says nothing about like state laws. So Roe versus Wade can be upheld at the state uh, or protections can be given to women for their right to choose at the state level. It doesn't necessarily need to be protected at the federal level. I mean, think about the financial regulations, right? Like money transmitter stuff. There, there's no federal regulations yet. We are, the, this is the U S dollar is the global reserve financial system or f- uh, financial product. So I don't think we necessarily need to have federal laws to protect things. You can do it at the state level or even local level. And it's probably better to be done at those, those places. Yeah. Well, no surprise that that's your opinion. Um, let's, <laughs> let, let, let's keep it rolling. I mean, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit and that, you know, for the listeners, it's going to be a shorter show. Um, but um, Bitcoin right now, $5,200. We talked about, you know, really impressive price action from Bitcoin, um, the last month, um, moving from like, what, what was it? 10,000 and now closing at, you know, closing the month close to $15,000 or uh, beginning November around there. Like that's amazing, you know, definitely brought a lot of attention to the space, a lot of bullish things being said by macro people. It seems as though Bitcoin is in the zeitgeist. The Overton window has now opened to Bitcoin. Um, what are your expectations from here? Well, I've been comparing the 2019 move, you know, that we broke out of the consolidation around 3000 or 3,500 and we went all the way to 14,000. Could we see a similar type of breakout of 10,000 and go all the way to all time highs? Um, I think we are a little bit more overbought here than we were at that time. So I don't expect it to be easy to go from, you know, keep continue from 15,000 and break through the all time high. Is that possible? Yes. Is it possible to touch the all time high? I think that's a good possibility, Um, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think we still have some consolidation to do. This bull market is going to be kind of nice and and measured. So I would look for the beginning half of 2021 to see some real excitement. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that kind of fits into the, what I'm projecting and I'm just really kind of basing it on 2017, right? That having happened in mm-hmm. 2016, uh, mid to late 2017 is when the fireworks happened. So if you were to just paint that over to now that says, you know, somewhere in 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I have to say, when I was... Sorry, I have a question for you. Do you think that um, at breaking the all-time high here at, in this stage of like geopolitical arena here that we have in the, U- in the world, um, is Bitcoin going to be fought more as it breaks the all-time high? Is, it, is it gonna, the spotlight going to come onto it? And you think it's going to get more negative attention in the world? What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, it's tough to say. Like, it seems as though the money is positive on it. And that makes me think that there's going to be a lot of tailwinds that would make Bitcoin difficult to touch in the United States, which is probably the most important jurisdiction. We've already seen that even China doesn't matter. And in China, like, I have to say, like, they're Chinese people in the world, they're, they're much more, they op- and not, I mean this in the most respectful way possible, they operate much more like pirates globally than Americans or Europeans, you know, in terms of doing business and stuff like that, at least like maybe smaller people, you know, smaller organizations and smaller groups and entities. Uh, so I just feel like they, they're used to trying to, you know, you know, launder money out of China, um, you know, use technology to evade, you know, China and stuff like that. And I, I just think that, I don't know, like if the U S doesn't do anything, like I just can't see, I can't see, anyone really being able to stop Bitcoin now. And then what happens when Bitcoin's hundred K what happens when Bitcoin's 200 K like there's a completely different world. And that's just the beginning of the S curve. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know that like maybe I'm just too bullish. I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, that Bitcoin won't be affected, but we can see some, you know, high profile people getting arrested. That's one of the things to bring kind of tie this back into politics is, uh, Trump has an opportunity now to pardon some really important people. If he could pardon Julian, Julian Assange, he could pardon Edward Snowden. He could free Ross. I have my free Ross t-shirt on today. Uh, he could show it. You know, the Silk Road free Ross. Um, yeah. If he could do some high profile pardons, I think that would be really great for him to do on the way out. Now I'm not a big Trump supporter. I didn't vote for Trump. Um, so, uh, whatever, but I think that would be a great thing for humanity if he can pardon those people because it, free speech is really what we need to, I mean, we're going to be fighting a lot of the big tech c- kind of censorship over the next four years because Trump had the opportunity to rein that in. But I think Biden has this like, you know, symbiotic relationship with them. And so that I don't think anything's going to um, stand in the way of more draconian censorship on the part of big tech. Yeah. I mean, with that being said, let's react about Twitter a little bit. Like, have you been observing what we've been seeing on Twitter in terms of the UX as well as like messaging and censorship and stuff like that? Fill me in. <laughs> my, my, my dishwasher is making a lot of noise right now. I'm trying oh. to pass this back to you. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm not, I've tried to stay off of Twitter, actually. Um, This election cycle has triggered me. Uh, Unfortunately, I was unable to stay, uh, you know, objective in this whole thing. And so I tried to stay off Twitter as much as I could. I did know that there was a lot of censorship of news items from like the New York Post and other uh, type of news outlets. So, um, I don't know what you're talking about with the UX. I know that they had made some changes. Like you had to, when you retweet, you have to make a comment or that's the default now is to make a comment. 
So yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think they're doing that. Yeah. To uh, make it, make it harder for people to just blindly hit retweet. Now they hit it. It's like make a comment and then you actually have to hit retweet again in order for it to just blank retweet. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm a Dorsey supporter though. Aren't you? But see, the thing is, is like, I don't think that this is Dorsey. Like I yeah, think I that Twitter is very much out of Dorsey's hands. I think if you want to see what Dorsey would do, look at square. Like mm-hmm. that's a position where he is much more in control of that business. And you can clearly see what he's doing, buying Bitcoin, supporting Bitcoin development with square crypto, selling mm-hmm. Bitcoin with cash app. Like, I mean, what more could you be asking from the man Turn it? He like, you could say that he was the reason that PayPal is even in this, right? He has turned the Overton window open. And then when you watch Bill mm-hmm. Miller talk about uh, Bitcoin, he cites PayPal, like the snowballing effect of Bitcoin adoption looks like that. And, you know, how can you not be a fan of Jack Dorsey, in my opinion? So, so what's the, what's the impetus behind the censorship on Twitter then? I just, you know, it's a public company at this point. It's part of the U.S. state. It was, it was just, it was such a spotlight of Trump's victory that it was a spotlight of like, we need to do something to make it so it's not the same as last time. Um, it was kind of like the, the least profitable social media, but the most influential at the same time. So it made, it was the easiest probably to, you know, overtake and corrupt, um, you know, <laughs> Well, like so Facebook, it, it, Facebook is a lot more profitable than, than Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter is, has some of the worst ad units of social media, but at the same time, it is the center. Like no one's like quoting a Facebook post in the news, yeah. you know, <laughs> they're quoting tweets, they're quoting yeah. tweets. Like Twitter is the epicenter of, inf- of announcing stuff. Now, is it a result of where these people are headquartered? Because, uh, you know, has, has the California political machine infiltrated these companies. And so that the, it's the actual like political bias of the employees showing through. And so how does Jack not have control over that? Um, you know, how is Jack being overruled is the question. You know, I just don't know enough about the internal operations. Uh, I think that people make all organizations. So yeah, I mean, if everyone is from the same geography and thinks the same way and acts the same way and votes the same way, then that's what you get. Um, and it's, I mean, it's hard to, that. I think that's why the centralization of tech companies like in the Bay Area has had such a big impact because before that there was, I mean, I'm sure there's other centralization points of industry, but uh, it probably didn't have the network effects of San Francisco. So um, this is the first time we're seeing like these global network effects the same way. And um, it's impossible to get around the politics of the people that make up those organizations. And that's what, I mean, yeah. even behind uh, the sovereign individual, like that book is essentially says that all governments are going to, as they are today, welfare states will get bigger because the people within that make up that work for the government, their incentive is to grow. Like, you know, no one's getting elected by saying, I'm going to cut jobs in the government. No one is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they might get elected by saying they're going to cut taxes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're going to cut jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard for a fiscal conservative to get uh, elected. Yeah. Before San Francisco, it was mainly New York, right? It was around the financing 
of all of these businesses. So if we can bring that back to Bitcoin, there is financial censorship as well. We haven't really heard too much about that where um, like uh, who was it a couple years ago that got their Patreon shut down? I think uh, Sargon, Sargon of Akkad, I think was his name. And so he got uh, his Patreon shut down and then he was taking PayPal subscriptions and PayPal shut him down as well. So there was some financial um, uh, censorship going on. But recently I've heard things where when people are getting their YouTubes demonetized or their YouTubes banned and they're going to make alternative media things. I don't know if you've heard of locals is like an alternative to Facebook, I believe. And it's done by Dave Rubin, who is one of these um, YouTubers. And he has signed a exclusive deal with Stripe. So Stripe uh, cannot censor, has promised at least legally in the contract to not censor that platform. So that's interesting. Um, maybe Bitcoin is forcing people to take a look at when they censorship. do censor, he'll take Bitcoin more seriously. Yeah, yeah. But maybe Bitcoin is, like you said, moving that Overton window to say, hey, it's a threat. They'll they'll go to Bitcoin instead of you. So don't censor them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, that plays I mean, a role. I, I, yeah, I think that Bitcoin is moving the window on, on many, many... Uh, on many, many fronts. Absolutely. Um, Ansel, let's finish off by talking about the difficulty adjustment. <laughs> um, you know, there is some things that we can learn about the nature of mining by looking at this negative 16% difficulty adjustment followed by a positive 5% difficulty adjustment, just to kind of paint the backdrop, the speculation and word around the street is, you know, the rainy season is over in China, all the free hydroelectricity in the Sichuan region is no longer available. Um, so a lot of machines went offline. It was one of the largest dif negative difficulty adjustments in Bitcoin history, which I think is notable. Um, and then as those machines, I guess, get relocated to higher, um, you know, higher efficiency areas, they're slowly coming back online. Um, the only, I guess, analysis that I would add to that backdrop is that I think the fact that S9s are still part of the ecosystem and there's like this massive amount of just existing hardware that is hunting for cheap electricity and it are, is only coming online when it finds cheap electricity. Otherwise, it's offline. That is a new factor. And uh, it's something that is going to continue to potentially create volatility in the Bitcoin hash rate in the short term. I don't know what the long-term implications are, but there are now more than ever hash rate pirates, you know, it, it now makes sense to have a bunch of hardware and turn it on, turn it off based on how profitable it is rather than keep your machine on all the time. And I think that's a key, uh, change that we're seeing. Yeah. It's getting more professional. <laughs> it's you, you call them pirates, but you know, it's, it's being smarter and more efficient with your hash rate and having longer term plans, having a strategy, um, and I think that is good for Bitcoin. Um, I think this hash rate, I wrote a piece uh, for btcm.co. I'll include it in the show notes for this episode. But um, yeah, so I, I think that the rainy season makes, is what 
it was. People shut off their hash rate to move it. Um, and there's all sorts of different implications in there. But now that we've seen the hash rate come back on in just two weeks, uh, two week time, that uh, that is exactly what it was from. People were just moving their hash rate to a new location to get different power. Um, this also has price implications and we can run through that if you would like to. Yeah, let's do it. Hit me with the analysis. I'll just read from my piece here. So temporary slowdowns in Bitcoin mining have a positive impact on price. Blocks are found more slowly, meaning fewer transactions per second are able to com- be confirmed. Bitcoins then moved, uh, then move more slowly throughout the world. If demand is constant, the fewer Bitcoins can move to meet that demand, price will increase. There are also fewer Bitcoins being mined per day when blocks are slower. Bitcoin is designed to average one block every 10 minutes or 144 blocks per day with a block reward of 6.25 that comes to 900 Bitcoins a day on average come into the market to meet demand. However, if blocks are 10% slower, that means 10% fewer new coins will be mined to meet demand. 108 instead of 900. That doesn't sound like a lot, but at the current market price of 13,000, so of course it's uh, another 10% higher than that now. That's 1.1 million few million dollars fewer of Bitcoin per day being mined at those slower block times. If the slow if the slowdown in hash rate is not seen by the market as temporary, it could lead to a more sustained downward movement in price as the market loses confidence in the network itself. We believe the recent price movement is in some part due to this dynamic playing out right now, but it also marks a point where price could consolidate for a while before continuing up. Price rises increase the value of everyone's coins, and that naturally leads to people taking profits. As always, the market is finding balance, so the next few weeks could be a period of finding a new stable price a, a price level before pushing higher into the end of the year. So that was my price analysis of this. All right. Well, you guys, if you want to get that every single week, subscribe to the Bitcoin and Markets newsletter and go check out Bitcoin and Markets. Uh, is it btcm.com? btcm.co is oh. just a new blog that I started. Yeah. There we go. btcm.co. Um, so make sure to find all of Ansel's work there. Um, Ansel, the only thing I would kind of push back on that analysis is you just didn't mention the difficulty adjustment and you didn't men- or, and you didn't mention the fact that, um, the fact that fees rose during the time of slow blocks. Um, and I totally get how slow blocks can increase Bitcoin's price, but the fact that blocks were coming in slow, we saw a big spike in fee pressure, which means that people who really demanded blocks right or to get into the block were willing to pay for it. That also made it very profitable to be mining during that time. And we see that now difficulty is now increasing. There's incentive to come back online. Uh, so it seems as though Bitcoin works, it's keeping hash rate stable. Um, and mm-hmm. your scenario where, you know, people could suspect that, uh, there's a difficulty, a downward difficult or death spiral, mining death spiral or something like that. Confident, you call that confidence, um, mm-hmm. that that could affect price. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And this was actually an example that proved otherwise. Yes, I agree. I think that there are multiple different, um, balances going on in the market and yeah, it would, but you know, fees are not new Bitcoins. So it actually is 
it's kind of higher fees are a stimulus to mining or a stimulus to hash rate, but they're kind of a drag uh, on the economy in general, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're right. They're not new Bitcoins. And that's why, you know, the analysis about price, uh, I, I still think that that's a very good analysis. Um, Ansel, this was a great show. Uh, we thought it was going to be an 18 minute show, yeah. but it turned out to be much longer. Uh, I, I love kind of going back and forth on these uh, current events with you. Um, we are going to be getting a lot more awesome guests on the show. So make sure to subscribe. We're also going to be doing a Fed Watch uh, RSS feed that's just by itself. So that's going to be rolling out soon. So stay posted for that. And like always, make sure to follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Make sure to follow Ansel at Ansel Linder. Make sure to share everything online. Make sure to share it wherever you are in the social media world. We appreciate all the support. And of course, those five-star reviews are much appreciated as well. Cheers, guys. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Mm -hmm.